This is Chris Nessie, founder of the Education Podcast Network. ISTE 2019 is right around the corner, and we're hosting an Education Podcast Network meetup. Come out on Sunday, June 23rd at 6 p.m. at Pat's King of Steaks and meet all your favorite Education Podcast Network podcasters and connect with other listeners. We're going to have an old-fashioned cheesesteak challenge. We're going to eat at Pat's. We're going to eat at Geno's. We're going to have a good time, talk podcasting, and we'd love to see you there. Come out on June 23rd at 6 p.m. if you're going to be in Philly for ISTE 2019. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, back to the podcast. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with a return guest, Rick Snyder. That's right, you'll recognize him. He's the author of Decisive Intuition, Use Your Gut Instincts to Make Smart Business Decisions. And basically what we're doing today is finding out how the book launch went, which is just, it's been over the last couple of months. He was, he started in Europe and he went in different places in Europe, then came to the United States and traveled around here. And he's got some good stories to talk about there, as well as we're going to delve into the book just a little bit more, find out about the writing process and how he did that, and uh, find out about something new he's got going. So thanks for being here, and enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Today we're catching up with Rick Snyder, the author of Decisive Intuition, Use Your Gut Instincts to Make Smart Business Decisions. You may remember that we last talked with Rick on episode 238 as Decisive Intuition was about to be released. He has had a successful book launch, and so I thought it would be fun catching back up with him. Rick Snyder is the founder and CEO of Invisible Edge, an international consulting firm that builds high-performance environments in major, mid-size, and emerging businesses. He leads the Invisible Edge coaches and training companies and teams to build intuitive skills and translate them into business plans and company cultures that result in more effective communication, engagement, profitability, and innovative success. His breakthrough strategies have been implemented by executives and businesses in Europe, Canada, Asia, Africa, and America. Rick holds an MA in psychology and has previously worked in the healthcare, tourism, and travel and training spaces. He has launched four businesses and travels extensively between California and Europe for work and leisure and to help people across. Uh, access their intuitive skills for decision making on a global scale. Rick, it's great to have you back. Thanks for joining us again and say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. Uh, Stephen, great to be back here. And once again, glad to continue this conversation with you. It's awesome. I appreciate you taking me up on uh, catching back up with us and uh, letting us know how things are going. So, um, you know, like I said off air, I've been watching your book and uh, your book tour and launch on Instagram. Looks like you've been having fun, lots of happy faces. So let's talk about the launch for a minute. Um, what's been the most challenging aspect of the launch? I think a couple things. Um, obviously, it can look great on social media <laughs> with all the happy faces, and, and part of that's true. But the other challenge is that, you know, first, just the wear and tear of travel. So this has been an international book tour with, starting in London and then moving through the U.S. and, um, you know, both coasts and the central as well. And so, you know, after a while, not sleeping in your own, you know, bed and... <laughs> different, you know, things to get used to. Uh, and I think when I travel, I don't eat as well. I don't take as, as best care of myself also physically. So I think just, just some of those things can be tra- uh, difficult on the road. It makes me wonder, like, how did the Rolling Stones do it? <laughs> how do those guys do it where they're on the road for, you know, sometimes 150 shows a year or whatever it is? I don't know how some of these uh, tour 
uh, you know, musicians and comedians and these kind of people do it. Do you have but, all the- so that's one of the challenges. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you have all the roadies? <laughs> and I don't even have any roadies is the problem. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> I got I to be my own handler and all those things. <laughs> that, that, um, so that's, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, that is one of the challenges. Um, but, and then the other, the other side I would say is you never know when you go to do a book talk, how many people are going to show up in the audience. So if you're at Barnes & Noble, I've had the experience where it could be 50 people and it's a very engaging crowd, or it could be five people. <laughs> and because you you can't, I mean, I only have so many contacts in certain areas that I'm not you know native to or, or familiar with that, that much. Uh, so you're really relying on local marketing and to, you, and you have no control of that, of how, how does Barnes & Noble in Las Vegas, for example, um, you know, distribute to their uh, lists. And so it's just, you know, it's a little bit of a random gamble in those ways. But I would say regardless of that, what I learned is that if there's in, I think teachers in the, in the classroom for this audience could learn, can appreciate this as well, that if you have five kids or, you know, 30 kids, it's always an opportunity to practice your presentation and to practice your delivery and how you show up and to stay professional. And I think no matter the audience or the size, et cetera, how do you still use that as an opportunity to really hone in on your craft if you're teaching something for the hundredth time or the first time? So I think that's where I can make that analogy here. Very cool. The uh, And I can imagine the uh, the, <laughs> the experiences of, of being in the different places and, uh, and wondering what, it, you know, okay, so is this audience going to be here or am I going to be uh, by myself? Am I going to be, you know, is it, is it going to be a tough crowd? Is it going to be a good crowd? You know, that's, that's cool. So they, uh, and, and I can imagine that's kind of one of those things where, uh, like you said, you're going to use it to practice no matter what it is, the group, but, uh, the anticipation has to be interesting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's part of it is, um, and where I think where I, appreciated the most was when I had like one or two friends in the audience or a family member that did happen several times. Um, I have a lot of great friends and colleagues in different parts of the world. And so, um, that's always fun when you have someone, you know, that knows you from other parts of your life perhaps. And then, uh, it just kind of helps with that feeling of support and that, you know, there's some familiar faces in the audience as well as a lot of strangers to engage with and people that you're bringing this work to for the first time. And getting to see that spark of realizing, oh, they're they're intuitive. They just maybe never called it that before, or um, they didn't know how they could access that in a way that was conscious. And so I would actually do sometimes some experiential exercises in the room during the book talk, which was a lot of fun because people got an experience of their intuitive intelligence in in real time. Excellent. The uh, uh, and one of the things is there something that you just really, I mean, is there just something that just you really looked forward to in the book launch while you're doing it? Just something that you really liked? Well, this being my first book launch, I think it was just the first. It was going into different venues because sometimes I would speak in business venues, sometimes like co-working spaces and those kind of places or private organizations. Or I would go to you know the Barnes & Noble or a independent bookstore. Um, and so I think it was just kind of feeling out different parts of the country and I think the thing that was most confirming was how this message is really being received really globally. It's not about uh, a certain religion or ethnicity or how you were raised or your gender or your blood type or your dental records and what they show or don't show. Um, It's really about 
all of us have this deeper innate intelligence around intuition and we can use that to make better decisions in our daily life, but also in our personal life. Uh, not just not just in business, but how we intuit our career choices or relationship decisions or where we want to send our children to school. Um, I think all of those are really critical that we're listening to our inner signals and cues. And so just the confirmation that no matter where I was in the country or even in London, um, this is a universal experience that everyone has had a gut instinct before. That's that's so cool because that's I can imagine you have uh, there's a commonality there and it it probably sits well with people to come in and and hear what you have to say and uh, to to talk about what or um, if they have already read your book to talk about what you say. So that's that's cool. That's neat. Just kind of that common connection, I guess. Which uh, yeah, it's the humanity, and that's really where I'm most inspired is. You know, raising the aware self awareness that we have on this planet and for ourselves, especially in today's world where you read the newspaper, turn on the TV, it's bad news, bad news, bad news. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's rough out there. <laughs> yes. And so I think the more that we can sometimes tune out the uh, how much we let in all this um, programming around us, and then we don't listen to our inner programming. And so that's really what I'm talking about is how do we get back to channel one, your original channel? So we're not inundated with the hundred other channels that we're subjected to throughout the day. I like that. That's a good analogy because <laughs> that's that's that that is a big part of the problem. There's too many other things out there striving for your attention. There, that's good stuff. The you know one of the things that I want to do because this is your first book, right? This is this is my first book. That's right. Okay, and it, the uh, can you talk a little bit about the writing process? I mean, what helped you get started and. And what I mean by that is actually start the book <laughs> and then finish. I mean, you know, a lot of people, uh, they may talk about having a process or something like this. I mean, how did you get started and then, and then make sure you finished it? Yeah, I think uh, the best way I got started was not only making the decision to write a book, but to actually take action on that. And one of the best things I had was I had an accountability partner. I had another writer who was also writing a book uh, at the same time. And so we would check in with each other, I think it was once a week, and we would have certain like words per day that we were committing to write. And we were, we, no, actually we would check in every day. We'd just send a really quick voice message like, yep, I got my you know, 5,000 words in for the day. Or, or no, I came up 1,000 short. That means I need to add 1,000 more tomorrow to the original total. So if I didn't, hit my um, my targeted number of words that day, I purposely would have to double up, for example, if I skip the day, I would have to double up the following day from the original amount so that I would stay on track. And I, because I respected my accountability partner so much and he respected me, we didn't want to let each other down. And really, it's, of course, not letting yourself down. Um, but but it, you know how it is when you go to the gym and you have a training, um, a personal trainer, you're going to show up on time and you're going to get the most out of that because you're paying for it. You have an accountability partner that's pushing you further than you would do on your own. And so just having that other person in on the process with me, as, also as a sounding board, if I wanted some feedback on something, that was really invaluable to getting this accomplished. That's awesome. That's uh, the accountability part. I can imagine... Um... I mean, because unless you're going to lie to your accountability partner, oh yeah, I got that done, you know, <laughs> um, which is going to show through it eventually <laughs> if you were lying. Um, you know, it's so big because um, a lot of times left to our own devices, if I were to go to the gym on my own, I, which I do, but I'll tend to check my phone a little too much or, you know, like I'm not as focused. 
versus if I have that trainer present with me. And so that was one of the biggest pieces that really helped me write the book. The other one is, you know, picking an inspired location. So I happened to pick the south of France, which was not Ooh. so bad. <laughs> so I literally, the Mediterranean, I was in the south, so I could see the Mediterranean from my window. Wow. So that was amazing to be inspired in that kind of way to think creatively and outside the box, especially on a topic of mine where I'm, I'm writing about intuition, which is literally outside the box. It's not in our normal daily right. thought, linear, not in our linear thinking, right? Right, right. Um, and so just I, need, I knew I needed something where I could be inspired in that way, in a creative, in a creative way. And then lastly, I would say, I'm going to come back to one of Hemingway's famous quotes um, where he said something like, um, I think it was Hemingway, where he said, you know, I only write when I'm inspired. And I'm inspired between 9 and 11 every day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's this balance of writing when you feel the inspiration, but also having discipline. And having a real practice and making it, you know, building that consistency with yourself. And so I found for me, I wrote best in the mornings. And so, you know, between morning time when I wake up, I'd usually want to do some exercise, but then before lunch. And so after lunch, I wouldn't be as sharp in the same way. And so I just noticed for me, writing in the mornings were best. So I would say anyone listening, if you want to write a book or if you are writing a book, find your rhythm. You know, find that time of the day that works best for you and honor that and find when, when some people are night owls and they write best in the middle of the night. So just find out what that is for you and, and take advantage of that time. That's awesome advice. I love it. And uh, I, I really, you know, it's so cool because I have colleagues, friends and myself even. I mean, I'm you know, looking at trying to, to write and I know it, it's it's getting out of that routine that happens so frequently, being able to make it not happen. And so I was real curious and I appreciate you sharing your, your process and that's awesome. So cool. Kudos. The, uh, um, let's start shifting towards your book about decisive intuition now. So, uh, one of the things I want to get you to, to talk about is what do you think is a challenge for leaders when faced with making important decisions? What do you think one of those big challenges is? I think there's so much pressure on leaders and even teachers and, and administrators can think of this too. Like when you have to make big decisions, there's so many pressures on having to make it when you don't have all the information and you never have 100% of the information and you still have to make a decision. That's just reality and that's difficult, right? right. Like we're always like, well, but wait a little longer, um, then we'll know more. And that's true, but at some point you can't wait uh, until you have all the information because that will never happen. And in the business world, if you wait too long, your competition's already made the decision. Get that right. And so you can be, um, you can actually hurt your company with what they call analysis paralysis, where you're waiting to be safe, to have all the information. And then meanwhile, you know, it's two years later and you still haven't made a decision. <laughs> Should we open up that new office space or not? Or should we launch the product? Or maybe it's not quite ready yet. We, have, we found one more bug. <laughs> Where if you look at Microsoft, what they did, they made the public do the debugging for them. Nice. <laughs> Where they would launch their products knowing that it had all these bugs in there, but they would want to launch them fast. And then they would know that their dedicated team out there of, of customers would actually find the bugs and report them back and iterate the process that way. So there's different ways to tackle it, but I think the hardest thing around decision-making is when do I have enough of the information to also include my gut intuition in making the best decision possible? 
Otherwise, it's purely a guess. If I don't, if I haven't done any research at all or have any sense of a probable best decision, and then on the other side, if I wait too long, I'm too late. So right on the money right there. That's yeah, because that uh, and then everything, the whole world can pass you by, or just simply by waiting, it got worse. <laughs> Whatever the you know, if you get some challenge going on. So yeah, and this is something. This is something Colin Powell actually said, and uh, science is backing this up now too. I call it the forty seventy rule. That if you have somewhere between forty to seventy percent of make of probability of making the best decision, that's the best time to also trust and use your gut instinct. But once again, if you don't have at least forty percent of the information, you're probably making a guess, uh, which could sometimes still very much be right. Um, and if you're waiting too long, then once again, like as Jeff Bezos says, if you're waiting to ninety percent of the information that you have, you're too late, and your competition's already made that decision. Yeah, that's. At, uh, I, I, yeah, you, if you ever been around someone who's done that, you know, you're kind of like, oh, yes, uh, okay, let's, well, let's try the next part. Let's just kind of see if we can ex- um, survive whatever the problem is that's happened now as a result. Yeah, good stuff there. I appreciate it. The, you know, in the intro, let's, let's shift into decisive intuition now. Let's use that as a jumping point because, you know, one of the things that, uh, I was thinking about, that's why I wanted to ask that question, what you thought about some of those challenges, because, you know, it's one of the things that happens is we get faced with decisions every day, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's uh, leading a a school, school system or business, whatever it is that we're doing, we're faced with uh, different sorts of ideas. And and sometimes we have this voice that may uh, speak to us (laughs) that we may be willing to ignore as opposed to pay attention to. And in the introduction of decisive intuition, you note this, it's time for us to embrace intuition as a valuable source of information. Could you just share a little bit about this and kind of talk about what what you meant? And uh, let's go from there. Yes. Um, you know, I was in one of, one of my book talks. Uh, There's a gentleman in the audience who said, you know, I think this is an old conversation, actually. You're just applying it into some new domains of business. And I said, actually, you're right. It, in fact, it's the oldest conversation. Nice. It's the oldest one we've ever had between us and us, between me and me and between you and you. Um, and so... It's our innate intelligence. It's something that children have when they're born. They have full access to their intuition because they their linear thinking hasn't taken them out yet. Their linear programming and thinking, whether it's from the outside world coming in or it's just their own rational mind. And there's a place for the rational mind. It's a beautiful tool. I love my critical thinking. It's just not the only tool in the toolbox. And this is once again what neuroscience is showing us that Uh, When we access our subconscious mind, not our linear thinking, but our subconscious mind, where intuition lives, we're actually able to make decisions faster and more well-rounded because we can process information 500,000 times faster in our subconscious than our conscious mind. So it's really our supercomputer, if you will. And so why I say it's a time for us to embrace our intuition as a valuable resource, um, and it goes back to your first question question you just asked me also around like what's the greatest challenge for all of us as leaders i think the greatest challenge is we don't trust ourselves hmm. i think on a fundamental level we don't trust our instincts and we don't trust our intuition and too often we've been programmed out of that whether it's been the louder voices in the room so if you're an administrator and there's other influential people on the board and they're all saying we should do this with the school district. And you're saying, but your intuition is screaming, no, this is the worst possible thing we could do. But how often do we override our intuition for the louder voices in the room or the influential ones 
or the data on the spreadsheet. Like just because it says this is how past behavior has gone, it doesn't always mean that's how future behavior is going to go. And and I always I always say this too that we can't even predict the weather <laughs> on the same day to in twenty nineteen. Right. We can't even predict the weather. So, so our data is never fully accurate and foolproof. So we have to be smart about using our intuition around, oh, I see some stormy clouds coming over. Feels like it's going to rain, even though my phone says it's a sunny day. <laughs> what do I do? The data says one thing. Do I trust my inner intelligence? That's what this is really about. That's awesome. That's, you know, it's, it's funny because I think you're exactly right that we, we don't trust ourselves. And so sometimes we're like, okay, you look at this, you look at that inside, we got this voice going on, but at the same time, you're like, well, you know, maybe I, and which is why some people do get stuck in paralysis because they start thinking, maybe I just need somebody else's opinion. And they start before you know it, there's like four different people and they're wondering if anybody's going <laughs> to, is it all going to strike home or not? And, uh, I, I, I just like that. I think, uh, uh, kind of getting back to what uh, you said before about the gentleman who uh, at, who said it seems like just a different way of looking at a conversation that's happened for a while. It, it is this idea that uh, we do have sometimes we should listen to whatever that gut is or whatever the, the brain's telling us or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is like coming back to our innate intelligence. And when we have artificial intelligence on the rise, and this is going to be a big part of all of our every work domain, every, all of our lives, it's going to become more and more a part of our lives as the months and years go by. <clears throat> and so it's, it really begs the question, well, what makes us unique as human beings? And how do we double down on our human intelligence and our intuition and our creativity is going to be the only thing that AI really can't outsource and, out, and replace. So this is where that conversation is going to be very meaningful as the months and years go by around our ability to use intuition to discern from all the information we're subjected to and uh, to stay connected to our, our ingenuity and our human creativity. Yeah. I got to say this because what you just, just said about the AI being around us, they, uh, uh, we were in a, uh, I was, my wife was driving, we're going someplace. We were at a place where we had to yield going on to the next road. And so we slowed up and we're yielding, getting ready to turn on. And all of a sudden we get bumped from the back and it's like, what in the world? <laughs> and when I get out and it, the great thing is the, the great thing is that nothing happened to the vehicles, <laughs> either one of them, nor injury wise. But the first things that the, the, the driver of the other vehicle said was, I thought it was going to beep at me if I got too close. <laughs> and the, and it's like, <laughs> nice. Okay, so you're waiting for uh, for Dave to stop driving your uh, your vehicle for you. <laughs> you know, to tell you too close. It's like you think your brain was telling you, "Hello, I think you're a little close." So I I think uh, that's a perfect example. And this is the danger. If I mean, I'm not bashing technology. I love technology, and the whole key is how can we use it to augment our life? Right. That's and, and augment our intelligence and augment our exploration. I think that's the key, and I think that's possible. And the danger is when we outsource our intelligence to AI and do it does all the thinking for us, even like what you just said, like, oh, I'm getting a little too close. Oh, I'm about to tap him. Boom. Oops, too late. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, I think we're going to have a lot of those incidents as people <laughs> start 
making the decision yes. whether they trust it completely or not and whether the voice inside is the thing we really should be trusting, which that's <laughs> like, hmm. So yeah, that was a unique experience with that. So I thought that kind of fit there. It, let's let's uh, take a look at, uh, in to, to be able to move forward, I think we need to make sure that everybody understands a little bit about um, something you call the five obstacles of intuition, which appears in chapter two. There's the rational mind, the there's doubt, there's busyness, fear, and ego. Can you just touch on those just a little bit so we can continue our discussion? Yeah. So um, one of the keys about deepening, so the whole book is really about how do you access your internal compass? How do you get into a better relationship with your intuition? So I realized one of the things I had to do right away was write about, well, what, what gets in the way? You know, what are the five obstacles that get in the way of connecting with our deeper intelligence? And so as Stephen, as you just mentioned, um, the rational mind, doubt, busyness, fear, and ego. And so here's a few examples of what they can look like. So the rational mind, that's the linear thinking. And so that's where I get into my conscious mind, my rational, logical thinking, and that's how I see the world. And then I stop paying attention to all the inner signals that and cues that I'm getting throughout my whole body. Uh, in my heart intelligence, my gut intelligence. Um, we literally have neuro, a whole neural network of transmitters, neurotransmitters in our heart center, in our gut center. In fact, they call the gut the first brain. And when a embryo is developing, our gut brain develops first, then the heart brain, and then the head brain last. So it literally is primordial, and it's part of our innate intelligence is our gut intelligence. And there's a lot of science and literature about that right now as well as heart intelligence is getting uh, more studied as well. Um, and so the idea is we literally have neuroreceptors in our whole body. And if we're not accessing our full bodily experience, that's why when you walk into a classroom and you do a vibe check <laughs> and you right away, you get a sense of, Oh, something's weird with Johnny right now. I know he's going to go off later today. I can tell he's agitated or, ah, oh, Susie is extra quiet. I wonder what's going on with her. I wonder if I need to just check in with her at some point during the break. And so you're literally using your intuition because you're trusting your inner signals and cues. And if you're only doing, only coming from your linear thinking, you're going to miss all of the data that you're getting throughout the day. That's, so that's probably the number one obstacle. That's awesome. That's that's so powerful too, by the way. That's uh, and just as a note, what what you started making me think of <laughs> is uh, that also works with spouses. I think when uh, when you know that uh, she's upset with you. <laughs> Because it's like, uh oh, yeah. I'm getting the look or the oh, voice yeah. has changed. And uh, that fits very well right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, you know, I used to, you know, I, I uh, studied psychology uh, in my background. And one of the things when we were learning about addictions, and you hear this a lot with people who have like an alcoholic parent, where the way that the, the car drives in the driveway, they can tell if that parent is sober or drunk or to what level wow. or how they walk in the room and just their body language and their energy right away. That's using our intuition. We're using our nonverbal communication all the time as social animals. And the danger about just only trusting the logical rational is then we discount all these other, our intelligence and all these other ways that we get information. And we're just looking for, oh, well, he told me he's not drunk. I'm going to believe him. Or whatever the rational lot. Oh, yeah, he, he just came home from work. He wouldn't have drank, right? Right. Or he wouldn't have drank at work, he or she. Um, and so that's where logic... See, our mind tells lies. That's another way to say this. Our mind can deceive us or be deceived all the time, but the body doesn't lie. 
and they know this a lot in, in psychology with neuroscience and somatics, that the body actually doesn't lie. So how someone says something or their posture or their cadence or what they're not saying, that's giving so much data to you. And so we're actually teaching this with salespeople, if you can believe it or not, in the business world. Because imagine a salesperson being able to read out the real needs of the prospect and the person that's doing the buying um, so that they can actually build an authentic relationship with them and, and not just sell them something, but they're actually with, they're curious and they're building a deeper relationship with them because they're picking up on their nonverbal communication. That's the kind of stuff we're training people and we're seeing amazing results because most salespeople have never been trained on developing their intuition. That's wild right there. Cause that, and that makes so much sense because, you know, it's just like, um, I've, I've been some places and I'll just pick on a car salesman. For example, there was one who was really starting to annoy me. <laughs> and it's, it's like, you know, you're just annoying me. If you just pick up on that, well, I was trying to be nice and it's like, okay, I'm going to stop being nice. We have to get, and, and it, and it literally was the way he was driving the conversation. And, uh, interesting. I, I can see where, uh, um, you know, if you don't, if you're not listening in your, in the context of whatever it is you do and, you know, and we'll just go kind of go back to the, the teacher example you gave, you know, in a, in a situation where, because we have so many different personal interactions in a day in a classroom with the different numbers of kids and the adults that we're talking to and all kinds of stuff that if you're not paying attention to, uh, you know, that whatever it is that you're talking about may not matter to the person because there's something bigger there. And you actually could have felt that, I guess is my point. Exactly. And even if you're doing like a parent teacher conference, for example, um, being able to read out the body language of the parents is so critical. And I know a lot of teachers get nervous about that and it's usually not the kids that create the anxiety. It's the parents. Right. 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 And so it's like, how do I learn how to get ahead of that and read out what's going on in real time and anticipate what needs to happen next in this conversation that's going where I can lead it into a positive outcome or a helpful outcome. That's what intuition does is allows us to read out what's happening in real time in our environment. Number one, and number two, it allows us to anticipate the future because we're listening to what needs to happen next. That is awesome. I, I you know, that, and that's, that really kind of leads us into this, what I want to ask you next, because, you know, in chapter three, it's titled, you don't find your intuition, your intuition finds you. And mm. in there, you say this, when you allow space for your curiosity and questions, your deep inner wisdom can find you. What do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is a lot of times we don't allow any time or space just for reflection in our day. And, and one of the obstacles that I talked about earlier, one of them is busyness. So if I'm running around from task to task throughout the day and meeting to meeting, back to back, and um, I'm constantly interrupted by my own smartphone and by my messaging and my dings, my blingers and dingers <laughs> yes. throughout the day. Yes. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm letting myself get interrupted. It not only stops my productivity, um, I allow no space. There's no room for my intuition to find me because intuition happens in the present moment. It's when I get present, when I breathe, when I slow down. And I actually take stock at what's, what am I feeling? And I do a check-in. And, you know, what am I... And if I have a question I need to ask, like, oh, do I want to hire this new administrator in our school system? And I listen for my bodily response, my gut instinct. 
Um, I, if I never make time for those, or, or is this career still the right one for me? Or is this school the best fit for me and my gifts? Uh, whatever the question is that might be coming up for you. If I don't make the time to carve out, to get reflective and get receptive, then I can't actually hear and, and uh, feel for how that information comes to me because that's how intuition works. We don't go find it. It finds us. It's already there and the, the answer is already there. We just have to open up to it is what I'm saying. And that's where our subconscious mind is so powerful because we're not consciously aware of most of the things that we're holding or we're thinking about or we're, um, we're connecting the dots for. But when we slow down, that's where our subconscious can kick in and that we can actually allow that space for that deeper wisdom to find us. That's awesome. And I know in there you give some suggestions like taking a walk or, uh, you know, which yeah, I think. In, in fact, I actually have a lot of my, uh, I work with a lot of business leaders and managers and I'll have them do this when they get stuck on a problem or they're having a conflict with somebody and it's not moving. Um, or, or it's just a very difficult conversation. I'll sometimes literally get them like, let's get out of the office. Let's go for a walk around the block. And even that state change changes their mindset. And they get a little bit loosened up out of their critical thinking and rational mind. And they start opening up to their environment, literally, and slow down a bit. And they don't, they're not distracted by their work computer screen and their smartphone. And I'll get them to turn the phone off or on air, airplane mode and do a little tech detox, I call it. And then they have to come back to their inner, their, their original smartphone. You know, their original inner signals and cues. And that's right. where <laughs> amazing breakthroughs and innovations happen. This is what Steve Jobs used to do, by the way, at Apple. He would walk around the block from the comple Apple complex in Cupertino, California, and he would do it barefoot. Huh. And that would literally get him to slow down and get into a different wavelength and that's where he would get some of his most innovative ideas for where to lead the company. Because he knew looking at the computer screen for another three hours wasn't going to help bring the breakthrough forward. That's awesome. That's, you know, it's interesting because like I, and, you know, I think it comes back to listening to yourself when you realize that you're tired and so you're not really paying attention or you're reading the same words over and over again, or you just keep coming to the same conclusion or something else is getting you angry. And so just, it's, you're not focusing on the right thing. And it, it's funny as a, when I was a principal, one of the things I used to do, I, I used to tell people I would, I would put myself into timeout if they saw me with, cause we had a, a guy who drove a golf cart around to make sure kids weren't skipping school, <laughs> that type of thing. And so I said, if you see me in that golf cart with him, that means I put myself out there for a little bit to try and I, I put myself into timeout. And, and usually that was just just really, because we wouldn't talk. We, he just kind of drive me around, and and uh, and I just kind of chill out, and until I was ready to go back in. Exactly. And uh, it worked kind of the same way. I got to tell you, I got one other thing that works for me now, which I'm really thankful that uh, you know that vinyl albums have come back, and it's I've I've got a turntable in my office, and I've set up this special area where I've learned that if I am having trouble thinking, if I put on um, some of the music that I like. Uh, especially instrumental and I remove myself from where I normally sit and sit where that turntable is that if I listen to a side that it kind of helps clear my mind and then I'm able to focus and then just sit there with nothing after that and just sit there and talk and write or reflect or try and do whatever it is I'm trying to do so you know I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's not always about meditation and quiet although that can work for a lot of people going out in nature can work for a lot of people 
but even listening to music, like listening to music that inspires you or relaxes you or gets you into a different mind state. And they've done a lot of research on like Mozart and certain composers really activate different parts of our brain in our creativity. And so um, I think that's incredibly valuable is to find what works for you. For some people, it's going for a run or clearing their head by swimming for a while. And it's just getting in that autopilot of the rational mind once again and getting that part to relax so that you can get on with your creative thinking. Awesome. I, I, I love that. It's just, you know, it's, and, and then I would think it's just about doing it because sometimes getting back to something you said about the busyness, I think we get too busy so we don't do those things. <laughs> exactly. I just moved to San Diego, as I, I told you earlier, and one of my commitments to myself is to get out on the water at least three days a week there you go. before I look at my phone. So I'm saying this to, my, to the audience so that you can hold me accountable. But at least three days a week where I'm with nature and I'm going slower in the morning and coming into the rhythm that way and being open to those creative ideas, especially with the ocean right there, um, that's something I'm very much looking forward to being here. And that, being, that would be excellent. Take it, yeah, definitely take advantage of that. Don't, don't make too many excuses not to do that, I would think. That's exactly <laughs> good stuff. Exactly. So uh, what I'd like to do is uh, let's kind of shift into, uh, into this. The, uh, could you talk a little bit about the importance of asking for guidance? Because you have an entire chapter about this, and I think this is something that uh, many leaders probably need to hear a little bit about, <laughs> or decision makers. Yeah, asking for guidance, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that came up in writing this book is, First of all, asking for help can be very vulnerable and difficult for a lot of people. And sometimes we think if we're asking for guidance and asking for help, that we are weak or we don't know something and we're showing that, that we have to be perfect all the time and know everything, which is ridiculous. I mean, everyone in the educational world would hopefully understand that it's in asking for help and getting other feedback that we learn, that we grow from other people too, right? right. That's why we teach. And that we're always students also. All of us are also always perpetual students. Those of us who love to learn. There's always things we can learn. And so asking for guidance is more accepted on the outside. So I can get an external mentor or an external coach or an ex external tutor or teacher. But we don't talk a lot about engaging our inner mentor. How do I engage my inner mentor, which is another way of saying intuition? How do I tap into that deeper wisdom inside of me and actually ask for guidance to slow down and say, hey, um, you know, this career is starting to feel like a dead end for me. You know, should I keep making a go at it? Or is it, are the signs showing me it's time to move on? And I got to find something I'm more passionate about. And I don't know what it is. Maybe I just am being confronted at work and it's a growth opportunity to work through. Or is it really time? It, it just feels flat to me and stale. And it's not changing no matter what I try to do. And so sometimes those, those dilemmas come up for us in our life. It could be in relationship. It could be professionally. And so how, how do we learn to slow down and actually ask for guidance around, okay, an inner mentor, you know, just feeling into this for a moment. Like, does it, like, even when I imagine leaving my job right now, what comes up for me? And bringing that up in our virtual reality for a moment in our mind. And then noticing what does my body tell me when I do that? And then when I imagine the other option, like, okay, actually, I'm going to stick it out and stay. And let's say it's right, and I'm going to go for it. How, what, what comes up for me there? What does my body tell me in that experience when I bring that up into my mind's eye? So we have a lot of different tools and processes to lead people through 
these decision-making points. But one of them is, as I just said, is just bringing these choices up to your virtual reality, asking for guidance, and then noticing what does your body tell you? Because once again, the body doesn't lie. It's going to give you clues Mm -hmm. as to what you're drawn toward and what you want to move away from. That's, you know, it's so right on the money. I, I, I think about, uh, you know, like if you were thinking that I really, if you listen to your body and it's telling you, you don't like going to work, <laughs> you don't like going to where you're going, or there's, you're constantly trying to find ways to avoid doing whatever it is that's a big part of your job or, or, mm-hmm. you know, or the opposite, you know, you really do love this aspect of it. Is there any way to, you can get this aspect to be more? Yeah, I could, uh, and, it, and I guess just making time to listen to that voice. Is, uh... Yeah, I love that because you're, you're engaging with your mentor. And it, I'm not saying just because you get a, a sense that you it's not working for you that you should leave right there. It might just be, okay, maybe something needs to change. Maybe there's a conversation that I've been avoiding that I need to have in my workplace. And maybe that would make the difference for me to feel more comfortable there or feel like I belong. And maybe that's the step that needs to happen. So it's not necessarily that you need to leave if you're getting, if it's feeling dead or stale or you having resistance in some way, it could be there's a conversation that you just need to have um, and work something out with, with one of your colleagues, for example. So that's where it gets really refined and we have to be so self-aware to start asking these questions, asking for guidance, and then being patient to listen for the response. Excellent. Excellent advice. I, I love this. And I could talk to you forever about this. I, I want to do, before we finish up for the day, I, I want to make sure that uh, I give you a chance to talk just a little bit about uh, this. You have a, you are, uh, um, you have a company, the company's called Indivis- Invisible Edge. And can you just talk a little bit about what you do with Invisible Edge? Yeah. So we provide that Invisible Edge for leaders and teams, which means you know, you can't, touch, t- you can't taste or touch intuition and build those skills, but it, it, it exists and it happens. So we actually build intuitive skills, just like you have emotional intelligence. We also have intuitive intelligence. So we're one of the first companies out there building intuitive intelligence for leaders and teams in the a- uh, areas around leadership development and decision-making, like we've talked a lot about today. Um, also about sales and developing skills for applying that to sales. And then lastly, intuition, tapping into our intuition for greater innovation and creativity. So people who are developing products and creatives out there who are maybe getting stuck and they are wanting to look how, could, how to access that deeper outside the box you know, innovation that they're needing to stay ahead of the marketplace. So we actually work with those uh, kinds of companies, corporates and startups uh, live. And we also do uh, virtual coaching as well. Excellent. And by the way, we have the world's first e-learning platform that we're launching in a couple of weeks here. Oh, cool. Um, it's, it's called Intuition University. We're actually going to get to train building intuitive skills remotely for anyone, anywhere. So that's very exciting. We're, we're just about to turn the key and launch that. Very cool. And congratulations on launching that. That's, that's awesome. The, Thank you. Do you have a place where you're going to start first? You got, uh, you got your first uh, group that's going to take? I uh, probably can't talk about that. But I mean, um, so you already got it lined up. Who are you going to work with? first well um that's going to be open up to the public so that and so if anyone wants to build their intuitive skills they can actually work through our uh virtual uh courses and, and learn how to build their skills from the convenience of their home or their office so we have that available in a couple weeks time and then um at the same and then we also have um, customized programs for larger corporations so big companies that want to scale that to a 
you know, if a thousand employees want to build up their intuitive intelligence, we can actually do that with Awesome. Well, good luck with that. That's, that's, that's pretty cool that you've got those going now. So good stuff. The, and would you just, uh, and now as we're, we are drawn to a close, I want to make sure that, uh, Rick, that you remind everyone how they can connect with you, get a copy of Decisive Intuition, and learn more about uh, the Invisible Edge and, and, and that new uh, Intuition University you got going. Yes. So if you want to check out the book um, that Stephen and I have been referring to, uh, Decisive Intuition, uh, you can find that at anywhere they sell bookstores, anywhere they sell books near you, any bookstores near you, um, any retail outlets or online. And then Invisible Edge, the company I was referring to that I started, um, that's at invisible-edgellc.com. And then lastly, if you want to go look at um, Intuition University specifically, go to intuition-university.com. And I'll put uh, all these connections in the show notes so that uh, you can find them there. And, uh, and so real quick, just when I go to Intuition University, is there something that gives you kind of an example of what it would be like to... Yeah, you're going to see some um, intro videos and you're going to see the courses that you can take also. We have different series. Um, we have all your foundational ways of building intuition first. And then we get into more of the advanced tracks around sales, innovation, and leadership. Uh, but the first uh, foundation is really about building your intuitive intelligence. And that's the main focus. So you'll see videos. Uh, there's also audio and uh, written transcripts as well. If you want to listen on the go and just hear the audio, you can do that too. Excellent. Thank you so much. The, uh, all right. So I got last two questions here. And since we've talked a couple of different times, I, got, I don't have my traditional questions that I ask you <laughs> about different uh, um, stuff. I've got some that more a little more specific to what you talk about. So, um, so here we go. Daily, we have to make decisions. What is one thing that you would want the listeners to remember when facing making that, that one tough situation? I would say the one thing I would want you to remember is to slow down first and take a breath. And even the art of taking a breath gets you present. And then you can ask that question like, okay, do I want to go left or right? You know, do I want to let go of this administrator or not? Or whatever the dilemma might be facing you. Take that breath and then feel for, you know, what is my body telling me? What is my intuition telling me? Um, do I get open and move, want to move toward a certain direction or do I feel contracted and want to move away and then get curious about that? So the main thing is to slow down and take a breath and then start to ask that question. Excellent. I love that. And I, I think that is something that, that just that slowing down and take a breath is so difficult sometimes for, for anyone who's in a, you know, they, they got to make some tough decision. It's sometimes it's just, you just want to do it and get it over with and, you know, rip the bandaid off or whatever. That may not be the best way. It, exactly. In chapter seven, ask for guidance. You share this. Remember, it's easy for your inner critic and comfort zones to hijack the process. Do you have any suggestions for our listeners for recognizing when their inner critic or comfort zones are interfering with making a sound decision? I mean, cause this is something that, you know, not realizing what you're falling into this trap, I guess. Yeah. And chapter five in the book goes all into the inner critic. And I give you five steps of working with your inner critic. So that's a lot more in depth if you want to go deeper with that conversation there. But if just to keep it simple here, what I would say is your inner critic, it's that little voice that's always chattering in the background. And it usually is comparing yourself to other people and telling you why you're not measuring up or why you're not doing enough or why you're not enough or why you're too much. Some version of that 
right? And so we all have our own version of that. And the idea is, I would say the most important thing is just to start to recognize it and name it when it comes up will give you a little bit of space around it. So um, your inner critic will sound like a broken record. It's something that you've heard before your whole life. And it's, it might not say like, oh, I'm never going to you know, succeed at this or I'm not going to even try. Why even bother? It will have some version of that, some broken record that you've heard your whole life. And so when that comes up, it's important to just name it like, oh, there's my critic. And that right away gives you a little bit of space that, oh, that's a part of me, but that's not all of me. And so that right there is enough room to start having a different decision that's not coming from the critic. And that makes all the difference. That's awesome. I I I would think every listener right now is going been there. <laughs> I should have yeah should listen because we all I I think we do and we we kind of uh, we we all get in that place where it's easy just to to give in, give up or push back on ourselves to say, yeah, I can't do that because so-and-so they've got all this, they got all the right stuff over there, but do I? <laughs> or- it's the number one thing that I see that sabotages, sabotages us professionally and personally is our own relationship with our inner critic. It's, we take ourselves out. And if we can align and befriend our inner critic and not have it be our enemy, that then we're finally at inner peace. And then we can create a life that is abundant and fulfilling. I love it. Excellent. Uh, Rick, I'm wishing you continued success with your amazing book, Decisive Intuition, Use Your Gut Instincts to Make Smart Business Decisions, and with your company, The Invisible Edge. This has been just eye-opening. I greatly appreciate you giving us coming back again to give us an update where you are and talking with us a little bit more and uh, uh, about your book launch and uh, the book writing process, as well as just going a little bit more in depth with uh, decisive intuition. It's been, it's been fun. It's been awesome. I thank you. Thank you so much for being part of the journey. I felt your camaraderie along the way and so glad that this message resonates for you and your audience. And if you ever want to do this again, just let me know. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rick. All right. Take care. Thank you, guys. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V, and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.